0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. What effect does disinformation have on our society when it comes from notable Canadians? We'll talk about that. Brian J. Karen, political analyst for CNN and White House reporter, will join us to talk about Donald Trump's latest lawsuits. And one in six Ontario households is struggling with food insecurity. Is it going to get worse before it gets better? It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML... We want to talk about uh, misinformation on social media, uh, which is reaching epidemic proportions. Uh, U.S. researchers now say the TikTok search results are just riddled with misinformation. Mike Gracia has details.
1: A research report published Wednesday says searches on the TikTok platform regularly steer users to misleading information. According to NewsGuard, in nearly one in five searches on TikTok, the platform suggested videos that contained misinformation. For example, researchers say they found misinformation in searches for videos about mRNA vaccine, the 2020 election, the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, climate change, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. TikTok, which is owned by Chinese company ByteDance, trails only Google among the most popular domains in the world, according to online performance and security company Cloudflare. In a statement, TikTok said its community guidelines prohibit harmful misinformation. I'm Mike Gracia.
0: Well, whether or not they're prom- promoted or prohibited, it doesn't much matter. It's there, and it's getting worse, I think. Let's ask our next guest about this. Marcus Kolga is the uh, director of disinfowatch.org and also a senior fellow with the McDonald laurier Institute. Uh, Marcus, pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks for the time today.
1: Thanks for having me on, Bill. How
0: rampant is this, and, and how much of a problem is it right now? It's
1: a huge problem. Uh, it's a problem that really started uh, – the seeds were first sown in you know around 2014, 2015 – um, certainly, with the uh, rise of, of Donald Trump, who um, is is well known for having trafficked in in misinformation and, and conspiracies, um, it's it's really grown since then. And, and you're absolutely right. This is a it's a huge problem. Um, it is a really a, a serious and fundamental threat uh, to our democracy right now. Um, you know free speech is fine debate is fine these are all important parts of our democracy but when uh, when it descends into you know vicious uh, mudslinging um you know these conspiracy theories uh you know this it's 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 really problematic and quite frankly i'm i'm really quite concerned that um there they're the, the path out of this uh, infodemic as, as some people are calling it is um is complex. Uh, I'm not sure that um, we can get out of it anytime soon because of the breadth of the problem. And really, again, um, what's that threat really is the is is our democracy right now. And so we need to start uh, taking measures to try and clean up that information space and making sure that um, Canadians are a little bit more aware of the information that they're consuming
0: are we not are we that gullible though that we're falling for a lot of this stuff uh you know i look at the example of uh, well, actually uh, a f- rather famous canadian jamie sally a former olympic uh, champion skater uh who i guess is uh, is active on twitter and uh, there's a number of yes. situations here uh with uh Well, tweets about Justin Trudeau uh, claiming to be from Justin Trudeau with very misleading information on this, and and people eat this stuff up. You look at the number of people that that tapped into that and that follow that. It's 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 remarkable and it's frightening.
1: Right there, there are some very clever people out there who are who are aware of the the biases that exist. Um, Certainly, over during COVID, um, you know emotions are running high. Um, A lot of these. Uh, we'll call them extremist platforms, some on the far right, some on the far left, but a lot of them certainly on the far right, uh, were promoting uh, various different conspiracies, uh, anti-government, anti-authority narratives, um, claiming that, you know, all sorts of things about COVID vaccines and, and the uh, and the pandemic itself. A lot of that, of course, was, was directed to, towards the government. Um, and it's understandable that people in Canada and around the Western world were, were frustrated. Um, but I think that some of these uh, platforms some of them you know news we, like we can't call them news websites these are um, just s- simply online platforms that uh, you know recognized the opportunity to exploit those fears and uh, have just been pushing all sorts of conspiracy theories and uh, and rabid partisanship and and a lot of that has been directed at Justin Trudeau now um, has the federal government uh, have ever, has any level of government been Perfect in its response to to COVID and such, absolutely not. And and I think that um, all of those levels of government will recognize their failures. Uh, but uh, to attack them, you know, again with some of these conspiracy theories, um, you know, this this um, F Trudeau movement that's out there is is really, again, uh, you know, I think we, inside of a democracy we should have rational debate based on on facts. This sort of uh, Trudeau must go. F Trudeau, um, you know, we have elections in this country, and and certainly, you know, we should have that debate. We should make, you know, if if there, those individuals want to make a change during that election, that's the time to do it. But the way that uh, you know, some of this, the rhetoric that's that's been uh, flying around uh, in on social media and such is uh, is uh, unbecoming of, of I think our, our democracy, and and quite frankly, is, is quite dangerous. And you mentioned the fact that you know, images have been made up. I just recently saw, uh, uh, we analyzed a, a picture that was posted online and tweeted quite widely amongst some uh, far-right organizations of Christian Freeland, um, or targeting, rather, Christian Freeland. Um, it was a picture of Adolf Hitler with the family of Joseph Goebbels, the, the Nazi propagandist. Um, Josef Goebbels' wife was in there, and the picture uh, claimed that, that Joseph Goebbels' wife was actually Christia Freeland's, Freeland's grandmother. And this was tweeted thousands of times, retweeted thousands of t- uh, several thousand times, and exposed to hundreds of thousands of, of viewers. And, you know, I think that most people who are predisposed to these sorts of conspiracies and, and narratives and and who have been, uh, you know, emotionally riled up by, by some of this stuff, you know, they simply believe this. that that uh, you know Christopher freeland's grandmother was was a nazi who visited with with hitler um and what that's supposed to do is is erode uh trust in our, our government um and and it's doing that um the fact that you see these narratives again that f trudeau movement the trudeau has got to go movement um it's becoming far more vicious than it has in in years and and i'm quite concerned uh, about how all of this will eventually manifest itself we saw what happened in ottawa um you know we could see much worse in in the in the coming months or years
0: well again you know and the people that, that pass these things on i i don't know if all of them believe it maybe some of them don't no, don't believe it but they don't. look at they hate that individual and i'm going to throw that out there because somebody is going to you know, take this in, and they're going to uh, absorb it, and and that's it's, it. Festers the hatred, really, and I think that's what's scary. And we saw January sixth, of course, in the states a couple of years ago. Uh, what can happen? Uh, that, that's a worst case scenario, uh, but we've seen it happen or almost happen too many times. Uh, and and let's face it, uh, some of these these incorrect uh, disinformation uh, tweets or or posting or whatever it is going to be uh, are contributors to that.
1: Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Look, in, in our country, in the Western democratic world. We are entitled to have opinions and defending that right, the individual's right to say what they wish is 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 critically important for in order for our democracy to function. Um, Is it ugly sometimes? Absolutely. Democracy can be messy. The problem, however, arises when when we're expressing these sorts of opinions not based on facts but on conspiracies and lies and misinformation and disinformation that's where where we we run into problems and so you know the fact that you know you brought up this former olympic champion um people with those sorts of profiles who have followers really need to take a, a look at what they're doing and why they're doing these things they're, the sort of partisanship that they're they're promoting um, they have a responsibility to check what they're, they're putting out there on social media to make sure that those it's, it's based on actual facts and that they're not um, inadvertently or intentionally uh, tweeting misinformation and, and disinformation. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's hard to think about how we might be able to do this. This is not, isn't something that, you know, I think the government can legislate um, or regulate necessarily. Um, it's going to take really a, a whole of society approach to, to t- you know, reflect on, on how we are engaging with each other and, uh, and making a concerted effort to, to clean that up and, and certainly making sure that, you know, future generations don't uh, continue the, d- down this ugly road and making sure that they have the, the proper skills, the media literacy skills to understand the difference between opinions and facts uh, and to recognize misinformation and disinformation and reject it when they when they do see it that's the only way out of this it's a, it's a you know a fix that we there's no silver bullet to this but this is something that we need to look at in the long term for the health of our our entire nation
0: absolutely um, listen I, I got a couple of minutes left here marcus and i, I want to pivot if i could because i know you've been following the, the the war in ukraine very very closely and and, and putin's reaction uh, it was a bad week militarily, bad couple of weeks, I guess, for the Russians. Uh, earlier this week, of course, uh, he says he's going to mobilize hundreds of thousands of reservists. I'm sure you saw the pictures in the news last night. There was a mass exodus in just about every city, especially in Moscow, of these potential reservists getting out of town. They don't want to be part of this anymore, uh, which I think in and of itself tells a story, doesn't it?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, right now what we're seeing in, in Russia is panic. Uh, The government is panicking, Vladimir Putin is panicking. He recognizes that his own authority uh, may be uh, threatened uh, in in the coming weeks and months because, uh, you know, this war has simply just gone that badly for him. Let's not forget that at the beginning of the war, he stated very publicly that this was a three-day special operation that Russia was engaging in. We're in month number seven. Um, There are tens of thousands of young Russian men who have been killed on the front. This, is, this information is now starting to leak out into the, into the Russian public. The fact that he's now uh, calling up 300,000 troops, uh, mobilizing 300,000 young Russians and, and older Russians as well, um, is clearly a sign to Russians that things are not going well. They are not interested in this war in Ukraine. And you're right, they are leaving, uh, there's a mass exodus out of the country right now. There are you know, reports that there are uh, lineups dr- on land borders, you know, 30 to 40 kilometers long. Of, uh, of these young Russian men uh, that are leaving. And, and criticism, public criticism, has also been rising. You mentioned the fact that there are some protesters that are being out on the streets. Also, some celebrities in Russia are calling uh, for an end to this war. So the things are not looking good for Russia, and, and we need to keep an eye out for what he might do next to retaliate against to, and to you know, make up for what he perceives to be his losses.
0: Uh, I run on one-way tickets out of the country, flights to Turkey, Georgia, Armenia, uh, other countries, especially those three, because they don't require visas uh, from the Russians. Uh, Those were all sold out within minutes. So there's a, uh, and I know that Putin mentioned even yesterday in his speech about, you know, bringing these people up, that he still has the support of the Russian people. I I, I think we should question (laughs) statements like that.
1: Well, I, you know, he may have, I mean, those Russians that aren't going out on the streets, Sure. I mean, you can't say that they're supporting the war; they're just not criticizing it because they fear getting arrested. Um, I don't think that there's widespread support for this uh, this war right now. You know, one of the more interesting facts that came out last uh, last week was that um, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is known as as Putin's chef, this is a guy that runs a private military contractor called Wagner, which has been uh, cited by the UN as as having been involved in several mass atrocities in, in Africa. Um, this guy Prigozhin, went to, into a Russian jail to try and cons- to try and uh, mobilize and convince uh, murderers and rapists uh, to join the cause and, and fight the Ukrainians. He's he's apparently managed to sign up uh, three thousand of them at this point. And uh, one report last uh, last week's uh, claimed that uh, even a cannibal, a man-eating cannibal, uh, someone who had been arrested for murdering and eating his victims. Had been uh, had signed up uh, t- for for Putin's war in order to uh, uh, you know be granted a release after after when the war was over. Uh, so this is how desperate uh, this guy is, and uh, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if uh, if there were these protests that we're seeing now um, that uh, that they grow over the coming days and weeks. And and I would argue um, that this could be what we're seeing right now could be the start of the end of Vladimir Putin. Um, I think that this will spark a, a grassroots uprising. I think that people will rise up, demand a change in in leadership. And, and I, I think that we we in the West need to do all that we can to, to help help that process along.
0: Uh, Marcus, as always, thank you so much for this great conversation today. I always appreciate it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk again soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Bill. You betcha. Marcus Kolga, director of disinfowatch.org and, of course, a senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast
0: on 900 CHML. It's uh, been a bad week for Donald Trump in the courts, um, notwithstanding the fact that he thought he was going to get his way on a couple of different issues. Uh, Yesterday, uh, kind of a bombshell from New York State. uh, Didn't really see that one coming anytime soon. New York's attorney general has announced a massive lawsuit against members of the Trump family, including the former president, linked to allegations of asset valuation fraud. Global's Reggie Cicchini has details.
1: After a multi-year investigation into the finances of the Trump Organization, New York Attorney General Letitia James on Wednesday announced a $250 million lawsuit that, among other things, seeks to ban the company from New York, alleging business fraud that inflated his net worth by billions of dollars.
3: Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization repeatedly and persistently manipulated the value of assets to induce banks... To lend money to the Trump organization on more favorable terms than would otherwise have been available to the company.
1: Trump and three of his children aren't named in the suit. And while this is a civil case, the attorney general says she believes there are to be elements of federal violations and has made criminal referrals to both the Southern District of New York and the IRS. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington.
0: Well, and there's uh, some updates on what's going on, too, with the, uh, the Mar-a-Lago uh, raid as well uh, that Trump, I'm sure, is not going to be pleased with. To try to dissect all of this stuff, please to welcome back to the program Brian J. Karam. Brian, of course, is a political analyst for CNN, White House reporter, a columnist with Salon.com, and The Washington Diplomat, host of Just Ask the Question, a great podcast to find out what's going on in American politics, and author of the new book, Free the Press, the Death of American Journalism, and How to Revive It. Brian, welcome back. Good to have you on again. Good to be here. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, if this, we're being inundated here with bad news about Donald Trump in court. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> well, he's I, inundated I mean, with bad news. I well... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, did you see this one coming i because we i think the last time you and i talked uh there was some concern that the southern district of new york had i don't know if they'd given up but they just weren't doing much about the uh, the investigation there and then boom all of a sudden uh, you know we get this word from the uh, the new york's attorney general uh that uh that you know, this is civil it's different than, than a, a trial than a right. criminal court uh but just as damning really
2: well, yeah, it's very damning. It, it stems from the Michael Cohen investigation. Michael Cohen, when he was uh, uh, went to prison, uh, gave up all this information and told everyone exactly what was going on with the Trump organization. There is no difference between the Trump organization and Donald Trump. He's the organization. And it was disappointing for many that nothing was done um, criminally. But the attorney general of the state of New York said, uh, uh, just a second, we'll take care of this and so filed a 250 million dollar lawsuit against Donald Trump and you know went through chapter and verse uh, uh in that press conference yesterday citing very specific ways in which Donald Trump defrauded uh banks the IRS and the American people um it's this is i think it is the opening gong in the the aria that will mean the end of uh, Donald Trump i i do believe that he's going to be indicted i Uh, for criminal activity. And I do believe this uh, lawsuit will really rip him apart. I don't think there's any way he recovers from it. But, you know, Donald Trump has defied the odds before because he's a slimy little guy. So we'll see if he slimes his way out of this one. But I don't think he can.
0: I mean, some of the, uh, the numbers that, uh, that she was throwing around yesterday were just outstanding, It just were ridiculous. Uh, you know, the price of his apartment, the size of his
2: apartment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he claimed it was like a, a 34,000 square feet. It was only 11,000. He claimed Mar-a-Lago was worth 750 million. It was only worth 75 million. I mean, he inflated everything.
0: When she, Brian, you've been reporting for a long time and, and trying to you know, lift up rocks and find out what's really going on. Uh, He put this information forward, and and he he won. He got what he wanted. Do these organizations, like Deutsche Bank and and others that he was dealing with, do they not do
2: their own research on this stuff? Well, apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, you know, either they didn't turn the other cheek, or they didn't and got, you know, got uh, uh, taken advantage of that way. Either way, Deutsche Bank is now cooperating with the AG, so that tells you that maybe they were... Either embarrassed or culpable, uh, but yeah, they should have. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, if it had been I, you or me, they would have. I well, couldn't yeah, get away you know with that.
0: that. You know that. I mean, they're they're after you like white on rice if you just missed by a couple of bucks. Yeah, uh, but but I think she mentioned yesterday one of her offhanded comments during the Q and A after her statement. Uh, this is the Attorney General, Letitia James, that, uh, that no condo or apartment in New York City is worth the kind of money that Donald Trump says his is. I don't care how big you think it is or how much you think it's worth. It just It's outlandish. And, and as you say, you have to wonder about complicity now with some of these other organizations. And are they going to be under the gun now?
2: Yeah, and you kind of have to wonder about the complicity of the IRS and the guy that he appointed to head the IRS. There's, there's a lot of people uh, that will be shaking in their shoes this morning after that press conference yesterday but it wasn't even just that press conference which is funny I mean they, they at last night you know it dropped first of all it dropped that um the, the uh, justice department can continue their investigation into Donald Trump and then he goes on Hannity last night on Fox and claims that you know he said the secret word and declassified everything or he thought it or mental telepathy and and that's just he, he's just so many ways he's walked himself into his own corner, and he's gonna, you know, as the saying is, hoisted by his own petard. That's a lot of this is coming home to Donald Trump now, and the next few months are not going to be real good for the Trump organization, Donald Trump or his children. We're, we're just uh, down here, we're just uh, betting on which child he throws under the bus first.
0: Uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, when things, when the water level starts going, you have to wonder who's going to get tossed over. Uh, but to that point, and you know what, uh, we're talking about the, the I know that, you know, the Supreme Court starts to, to work again, in a call where the their next session starts, and everybody's getting back to work. And remember, you and I have talked about this, and you've written about uh, the politicalization of the Supreme Court, especially with the Roe versus Wade decision. And Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, you know, was insistent that, you know, politics has nothing to do with, with their decisions you know there were no republicans or democrats they're just judges why yeah, is it then, and if Brian, you believe
2: that i got a bridge i'll sell
0: you real cheap exactly why <laughs> is it then that every time a court rules on something they always have to say
2: whether it's a democratic or republican judge good question uh, i i you know i find both parties loathsome in the extreme um one is the party of no heart and one is the party of no head but uh, at least the democrats have an idea of what um Democracy is supposed to be, so I'll give them. I'll give them that. But yeah, it's frightening and it's it's frustrating that whenever a decision is made in the United States in a court of law, we have to, you know, tell you whether the judge is a, a Democrat or Republican. And actually, I like some in some places in the U.S. You, you cannot run as a Democrat or Republican; they're nonpartisan, and you have to run you know, without the label. And still they'll affix a label to you afterwards. Well, you used to be in the Democratic Party. Well, you're a well-known Democratic operative. Well, you're a Republican. You know, that's even though they're not. So the problem with justice in the United States is when it's tainted by party instead of justice.
0: Well, it is. And and that's the thing I find frustrating through this whole thing, because it's almost as if there's an insinuation that that political leaning is going to have an influence on on the, the judges ruling on situations like this and uh, there, there was certainly a lot of backlash uh, about you know just O'Connor I guess who initially said that the uh, Justice Department couldn't touch these documents uh, and she did that twice of course and this was a three judge panel uh, of the 11th Eleventh Circuit Court two of them were Trump judges uh, and mm-hmm. the other one was not uh, so uh, maybe maybe justice is blind Brian right?
2: well you know I, I when people worry about um Those things being kicked upstairs to the the Circuit Court of Appeals, the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, and they say they were uh, justices that were appointed by Trump. I'll remind everyone that in my own lawsuit against Donald Trump to keep my press pass, he lost. uh, I beat him in court three times, and uh, the panel that reviewed it on appeal at one point in time, uh, what consisted of two Donald Trump appointees just because you're a trump appointee doesn't look donald trump didn't look he just they gave him some names and he checked it and he signed it he didn't vet these people these were vetted by uh you know a republican they were actually vetted by mitch mcconnell who yeah, in the yeah. federal uh, society vetted them and gave them to mitch so um you know donald trump doesn't know he he thinks if he signed him in the office that they owe him some kind of fealty and um judges are finicky that way they they think of themselves as gods so they're not gonna they're not <laughs> gonna bow to the donald trump version they think they're gods <laughs>
0: well Don't and which is a nice which is a nice segue brian into the special master uh you know the one of the trump well the trump team's uh suggestions actually got the gig judge uh, raymond deary retired judge of course uh and the the word was uh, i'm sure you guys heard this in washington uh, too that that well, he he seems like an anti-FBI judge. So that's exactly what we want, you know, because Donald Trump's an anti-FBI. Just ask Jim Comey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they had they had their they had their first session this week, Brian, and he really raked the Trump people over the coals, didn't he?
2: Yeah. Well, that's what you know, Donald. <laughs> they won't say how they declassified these classified documents. And I'll preface it by saying it really doesn't matter if they're classified or not classified. <clears throat> he can be charged based on the fact that he kept them. So that's one thing. But there are other secrets that you can't declassify. The nuclear secrets that he had cannot be declassified. And while a president has uh, a wide range of powers to declassify, them, there's a certain process through which they go, you can't just say, you know, I said the secret word, it's declassified. And the special, you know, the master of disaster, the special master of disaster told Donald Trump he can't have his cake and eat it, too. You can't say on the one hand you know, it's declassified, but you didn't go through the process. You also can't claim that the FBI planted the evidence that was classified that you declassified that wasn't planted that you did plant. I mean, none of it makes any sense. And and Judge Deary, you know, chewed into him pretty good about that. It doesn't bode well for Donald. Um, You know, it it if you follow it logically, if Donald Trump can just, you know, wish it into declassification, then Biden, when he becomes president, can wish it back into classification. You know, yeah. and Trump can't then say, well, that only works for me. You know, that there's no logic. There's no logic to his argument at all. And I, I think, you know, any judge cogent enough to sit on a bench, and Deary has a lot of experience. A lot of the problems with a lot of the federal judges appointed by Donald Trump is that they're very young and don't don't have the gravitas to be there. It's not that they're tilted toward the right or tilted to the left. It's just that they're ignorant. But this man is not. And he was appointed by Ronald Reagan, another loathsome creature. But nonetheless, um he, judge Deery does have some gravitas, does have some experience, and one thing that judges acquire on the bench after many years there is a very good radar on detecting BS when they when they smell it, and <laughs> that's what Donald Trump is full of, and then the judge called him on it.
0: Well, and it, it was fascinating to see, too, because uh, of, of the way he was treated. And and what happened the other day in court, you've told me this happens time and time again when Trump goes to court. His lawyers spin some fantastical stories. Uh, you know, Trump went on Hannity last night and did the exact same thing. But what uh, I really liked what uh, the Judge uh, Deary basically said, because uh, the lawyers were going on about the, all this stuff, about you know, this is all unnecessary and these are de- declassified. And he says, would you testify to that under oath? And, of course, yeah. as you said, every time you ask, the lawyers back off because they said, no, I, I'm not going to lie under oath. Absolutely not. Right. I'll, 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 I'll lie the BS- as long as
2: it's not under oath. I'll tell yeah. you a, a BS story, but if I got to sit down and raise my hand, I'm not doing it.
0: That, that tells you all you need to know about these guys. I mean, but <clears throat> uh, I mean, Trump is going to continue to do this as well. Uh, where does th- where does this put him right now? And by the way, we should just remind our listeners: uh, the uh, the New York uh, lawsuit uh, is is actually naming the Trump adult children too. They're all impl- implicated in this whole situation. Uh, so this this is a big net that they're throwing.
2: Yeah, and like I said, it'll be a short you know March before. Donald Trump throws one of his own children under the bus because Donald Trump is nothing if not all about himself. So that'll be interesting to see how long it takes for him to where it goes. But this is the opening salvo that the the, the um, suit filed by the attorney general the civil suit filed by the attorney general is just the first step. Yeah, I I firmly believe from my sources in the government that this is a well-coordinated effort. Merrick Garland is sitting at the top. He knows everything that's going on. He's a very methodical, meticulous man who doesn't care about politics, who cares about the rule of law. He's coming for Donald Trump, and I would not want to be in his crosshairs. I don't think people fully understand how determined and how methodical and how meticulous uh, Merrick Garland is, and there's no way that that suit in New York was filed that the Justice Department in Washington D.C. did not know what was going on. They are pulling the strings.
0: You know, it's interesting. I think somebody drew the analogy of of, of, of way back when uh, you would remember this of Bobby Kennedy going after Jimmy Hoffa when he was the Attorney General. Uh, but and but Kennedy made it personal, uh, and Mark yeah. Merritt Garland is is he's he's using the long armor of the law here. That seems to be his tool.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's not personal. It's all business. It's strictly business. (laughs) As they say, you know, Donald Trump messed with the wrong mob. He messed, messed with the Department of Justice, and they are pretty meticulous.
0: So where does this go? I mean, we know the civil suit's going to take a long time. Apparently, just they characteristically take a long time to go through the courts. Uh, there won't be any jail time assist, you know, associated if, in fact, they find him to be you know, culpable in this situation. Uh, he'll probably have to pay substantial money. And like you say, they don't want him doing business in New York or a couple of other cities for that matter, too. Uh, but what about this idea about, you know, some of this information going to the Southern District and, and to the Department of Justice? They're possibility I, I get from that Brian that there could be further charges based on their investigation
2: of course but you know the the problem in New York is you know um, <laughs> you've got someone sitting there that the uh, the guy who should have filed the civil uh, criminal charges has not done so Bragg so um you have to wonder where is he, he you know he tweeted out yesterday this investigation is ongoing well great it's ongoing where is it going? When is it going to get there and what more do you need? If the attorney general can file the civil suit and has all the information needed to do it and the very same information provided for the civil suit could be used in a criminal action, um, I would like to see that criminal action filed sooner rather than later. That's the one stumbling block in this whole thing. And, But I, I, I think in the end he'll be he'll be charged. He will be charged in New York, I believe. He's going to be charged federally and he's, he faces charges in, in Georgia as well as as well does Giuliani, as, as well does Meadows, as well as the children. as you know. There's a whole host of people in the uh, Trump inner circle that are going to go into a very strange place in their life uh, after the first of the year.
0: And, of course, uh, the January 6th committee in Congress uh, gets underway again. Now, I know they've got a very limited time frame because they're only going to be there a couple of weeks, and then everybody shifts into election mode. And, and Liz Cheney, of course, won't be there after that. And any, she won't be and there after
2: January, so they've got until yeah. the end of the year to to finish up.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, any, any any opportunities here? Do you see for them to get some some conclusions to this and to and some finality?
2: Yeah, I think this has been a well choreographed effort from the very beginning. Um, Jamie Raskin, one of the members of that uh, committee, has uh, put it in, in very stark terms as to what's going on and how it needs to proceed. Liz Cheney has her own. Um, uh, timetable, and she—I think they're all in. I, I think this is the best effort that the traditional Republicans and traditional Democrats have of working together to achieve a goal for the good of the United States. Um, and it be—I think that they have so far done a very good job that has highlighted where Merrick Garland is going, and I can guarantee you again that Merrick Garland's people. Are involved in the January 6th hearing. They are being brief. They know what's going on. They are using some of the same witnesses. I, I think at the end of the day, the January 6th committee will tie a nice bow on it. And I, I think there are going to be more. I think there are going to be a few surprises on January 28th. Uh, I mean, uh, September 28th at the next hearing. And I think at the end of the day, there are going to be a few more people involved that most people thought but didn't really know. And they're going to be surprised by what happens.
0: A uh, podcast you want to go to is called Just Ask the Question. Brian hosts that, and uh, it, it gives you great insight into what's going on on the American political scene. Brian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this today. Always, anytime. You betcha. Brian J. Caram, of course, political analyst, author, and podcaster. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show Podcast on 900 CHML. We want to talk about food insecurity. Now, that's a phrase that probably wasn't in our vocabulary a number of years ago because uh, we just weren't paying attention. This is Canada, right? This This is one of the most affluent countries in the world. Well, a new report suggests that almost three out of four Canadians have made significant changes to how they grocery shop due to these higher prices. Global's Janet Brown has details.
3: A study by Dalhousie University's Agri-Food Analytics Lab and consumer data collector Cattle is showing many shoppers have gone out of their way to save money on food in the face of record inflation. Nearly 24 percent of respondents said they were cutting back on their food purchases because of rising costs. Eight percent said they have changed their diet and seven percent said they are skipping meals or snacks altogether. Almost a third said they have been watching weekly store flyers more often and nearly a quarter have made more use of coupons. The survey reached 5,000 people across the country between September 8th and 10th. Janet Brown, Global News.
0: Uh, it's getting worse, uh, and that therein lies the problem. There was an op-ed piece in the Toronto Star the other day that I think highlights exactly uh, some of the concerns and, uh, well, some of the government in action on this I think we need to talk about as well. The author is Armin Yalzazan, who, of course, is an economist and Atkinson Fellow on the future of workers, and uh, she joins us again on The Bill Keller Show uh, to give us some details about what's going on Armin, thank you so much for this I really appreciate the time today
3: It's always a pleasure bill
0: I, I, I just mentioned you know the idea about food insecurity It's something that was I think foreign to a lot of us you know you, maybe, yeah we might you know go to the no-frills as opposed to one of the bigger shopping markets. might try to save a few pennies on a, a tune of canna but well there's always going to be food and we'll always have enough money for food that's not the case anymore
3: uh, no, in fact, uh, a Can study showed that 6 million people had some form of insecurity in 2021. And that was better almost everywhere in Canada than in 2020, because people were getting some kind of emergency relief from the government because of the pandemic fascinatingly, Ontario was the only place that bucked that trend. There were more people hungry uh, in 2021 than 2020. And we know now with food inflation being the fastest growing and most unrelenting growth in inflation for the last few months, we know more people are going to be hungry.
0: Well, and it's, it's varying. I know that. I mean, you know, there are some people that are just going to whine and complain about, you know, how much I'm paying for bread and for hamburger these days. Uh, But there's a whole other group of people that just say, well, I can't, I can't buy anything now. I I don't have enough money to, to feed myself. Now, and, and and that that's a, that's a crisis situation that we should mention by the way when we throw a phrase around like food insecurity it, there's variations on that theme of course that can be people as you mentioned that that maybe have had to make some changes in their diets or or maybe not eat as often but there are some people that just aren't able to buy groceries these days
3: yeah that's actually a, a really important thing to define what we mean by food insecurity there's about three categories some are wor- worried about running out of food. It's not like they've already done their budgeting um, and they're running out of food or they can't buy certain things for lack of money. That is most frequently for things like buying meat, can't buy meat or can't buy certain types of meat, Uh, but also sometimes fruit and veg. Then there's uh, moderate food insecurity, which is you're compromising what you're buying, uh, both in quantity and in quality because you don't have enough money. And the third category of food insecurity because you don't have enough money is that you miss meals. You actually eat less. Sometimes you go for days without food. That's the category that we're worried about. Back into 2021, a quarter of a million households, not people, but households in Ontario, were in that third category, missing eating actually choosing not to eat so that they could make ends meet. We know that number has increased now. And uh, that's what we're on the lookout for right now. You know, these surveys are only done very rarely. And we've uh, like, that's your warning bell right there.
0: I, I listen we, there's so many roads we can go down here to try to talk about what could be done here. Uh, and the one that jumps to mind is as I was going over some of the data here last night, of course, was a basic income project, uh, a living wage project. I mean, name it what you will. Uh, Doug Ford doesn't seem to have any interest in that. Unfortunately, he killed that program w- within minutes of taking office uh, a number of years ago. So, uh, but things like that, you know, when, when we talked about them at the time and people said, well, come on, you know, is that really necessary? Uh, I'm not going to say you know there's a lot of factors inflation and, and the pandemic and everything else that were contributing factors to this but these were vulnerable people then and now they're past vulnerable I mean they're they're drastic and they're they're in situations right now that I don't think anybody ever thought they'd find themselves in
3: I think that's true and um What you're pointing to with the basic income project, I personally don't have a lot of time for for a bunch of reasons. One day we will talk about this bill. But what we need to talk about is the fact that people on low income, the people that are in this extreme category are people living in on um, disability pensions and welfare, are people living in extreme poverty in terms of the working poor, not enough hours, and the hours that they do work are paid too low, and seniors on fixed incomes that are just unable to keep up with other costs and they are choosing to eat less. So those three categories all can be fixed without a basic income. You can target the money. One of the things that the federal government tried to do was to top up the federal housing benefit with another 500 bucks. Won't go very far, but it's something. They're doubling the GST credit for two for the next six months will come late but it will you know shovel a few hundred dollars and if the federal government's money to the province for families with kids actually got spent the Ontario government is still sitting on federal largesse to cut parent fees for childcare. we're still waiting for those checks to come in even though they announced in April that fees would be cut by 25 cents uh, by 25 percent and another 25 percent by uh, the end of December and like the check's not in the mail. So there are so many things that could be done. That would be a relief of about an average 600 to $700 a month for families that pay for licensed child care. So there's so many things that could be done to help put more cash in your pockets, not least of which would be raising The rates of social assistance which were cut in 1995 by another conservative uh premier mike harris by 22 percent and they have been nickel and dime upwards at a time you know like ever since it's like we just can't seem to make up for the extreme cruelty to do welfare cuts and tax cuts back in the mid-1990s so yeah there's plenty of things that we can be doing we're not doing we did a gas tax rebate you get the money whether you need it or not whether you take TTC or drive a car or not you know we, we we've we've seen other things that literally threw money at people whether they needed it or not so you could target funding and you can make it go to the people that we know are most likely to be going hungry but we're not doing that either
0: but governments are going to be wary, and you've heard all these economists, I've had a number of them on the program over the last couple of months, I mean, that say governments start handing checks out. That's only going to fuel inflation. It's going to make a bad situation worse. So you're really hurting these people that are already in a dire circumstance. That's That's their conjecture anyway.
3: Uh, I cannot begin to tell you how infuriating I find this. These are the same people that said governments aren't doing enough about inflation. And when then the federal government did something about inflation, they said they're causing inflation and their lips were zipped when Doug Ford and Jason Kenney introduced their gas tax. When uh, Scott Moe, the premier of Saskatchewan introduced his Mobux, bucks, 500 bucks for every adult, whether you need it or not. Like, No comment about that inflationary uh, impact, but so much ire for the idea that you would spend less than 0.1% of GDP to help those who are the most impoverished get through the next six months. That's going to be inflationary. I find it just it gets stuck in my craw.
0: I know, but there, there's a willing audience that wants to buy into that and simply say, yeah, they're going to have to make it on their own. Uh, what was the phrase I think Mr. Polyev used here, that uh, uh, sending checks out is pouring gasoline on the inflation fire? Oh, that's you that's know, a catchy I just, line.
3: I, I just want to stop you right there, because I, I listened to the the YouTube of that uh, mm-hmm. speech, which goes on for quite a while. It's like a five-minute speech or a four-minute speech. And at the three-and-a-half-minute mark, he makes that comment about... Um, First of all, he says all the things they're not doing. Then he points to what they are doing at the federal level and says it's like pouring gasoline on the fire. Literally 10 seconds after he says that, he says, and then there's the housing benefit, 500 bucks. In a city like Toronto, that would be $40 a month. That's not even a day's rent. So, you know, he's say, on the one hand, he's saying you're spending too much, you're triggering inflation without any proof that that is the case. How can something that is 0.1% of GDP create inflation it's just too small to create inflation and the people that the money's going to are not even getting the money now they're getting it in december you're not stopping the bank of canada from taming inflation with this measure but then you turn around and you say oh you're not spending enough money on a housing benefit it's not big enough is it too much or is it too little pick pick a lane
0: but I mean, they did that, and be, long before Paulyev was the leader, too. Remember, they voted against a number of government initiatives, and and their rationale at the time was, "It's not enough." Well, so, so we're going to vote it down altogether. It, it just it boggles the imagination that the, the it's 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 because everything is infected here by politics. It's not it's not what's going to be the best for the people in in a, in a situation like this. They're just playing politics with every one of these decisions.
3: You're absolutely right, Bill, that everything is becoming torqued up with politics and it is obscuring the real and very avoidable story of human tragedy that is unfolding around us. And sadly, there's going to be way more to come given where we think prices are headed. You know, of all the elements of inflation that were tamed, the headline number was a little bit lower increase than last month. It looks like the taming of the uh, inflation monster may be imminent the one element that isn't imminent is food, uh, so food prices keep escalating in their increase. Um, so the the speed with which food prices are going up, you know, let me just give me give you some prices of sure. basics. We're not talking about meat here, which went up by six percent, but something like pasta went up thirty two percent. Something like cooking oil went up twenty eight percent year over year. Bread is up 15%. These are the basics, my friend. The yep. only thing that didn't shoot up like that is milk. And these are the same people that say the dairy marketing board is a problem. Milk only went up 8%. Yeah, it went up. But compare that to things that are not regulated at all, like pasta and bread. Uh, and that's those areas, those staples, like bread and pasta and cooking oil, these are the things that are going to tip the scales Come come the fall, um, if we we can't seem to increase the supply on the market and consequently lower the cost.
0: At the risk of sounding like Ebenezer Scrooge and are there no prisons, are there no workhouses, uh, (laughs) some people... Some people are just going to say, "Well, they can go to a food bank." But uh, my read on this, though, is: Look at if these things are costing as much as they are, and you, there's the prices you just rhymed off, food banks are going to be hard done by as well. They have to go and buy this stuff. Uh, yeah, right you know, at the top and, and of my
3: article, actually. And they're I not rife;
0: they're not rife with cash. These the, the the food banks. I mean, it's not as if they can just dip into their account in the Cayman Islands and say, "We need more money here."
3: Year over year, I reported in my column that food bank usage tripled they are now serving over 180,000 people a month and the annual cost of purchasing food for those people has grown sixfold from last year so 13 million dollars a year to keep those shelves stocked and charity is not growing because everybody's budget is being pinched so we are heading for a fairly large-scale disaster
0: I mean, that's a reality for people that have never been in a food bank. Uh, And I know they rely on donations and there's some wonderfully generous people that do that sort of thing. But as you say, uh, maybe you dropped off a couple of bags of groceries before. Now you're thinking, I I can't afford it. That's all there is to it. I'm trying to put food on my own table right now. That's all I can afford to do. And I noticed that in my local grocery store. You know, go in there, there was a bin there that was always overflowing with you because know, yeah. they actually pre-make some of the bags, you know, $15, $20 worth of, uh, it's empty the last couple of times. And it's simply, I don't think we've all become cold hearted. It's just, we can't afford to do it. Well, that those, be- those shelves have to have something on them when those people go in there and that's going to cost them a ton of money.
3: You, uh, you just nailed it, my friend. Um, sadly, when we say that the market is fine, the market will deal with everything, governments are doing too much. These same people say charity will take care of the rest. And when markets go completely berserk, as they are doing right now for absolutely historically very unusual uh, circumstances, charity isn't enough. We need to do something through the market. I mean, well, through, uh, sorry, through, through governments.
0: We're we going to have to keep talking about it, too. I mean, I, I just don't want to get caught up in political catchphrases like some people do in Ottawa and Toronto, for that matter, too, and, and start you know talking about the realities. And, and you certainly have done that with the piece that was in The Star. I Armin, mean, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate, first of all, writing the article, but so, uh, spending some time with us today to try to explain this. Uh, let's stay in touch as this evolves, hopefully for the better.
3: I agree, hopefully for the better. And thank you very much for having me on the airwaves with your people.
0: Thank you very much. Armin jan Olsen, of course, economist and uh, Atkinson fellow on the future of workers. And you can check that piece out in the Toronto Star webpage uh, and get some of the details on that. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML.